Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. And we are here to talk about funerals. Today's, today's topic is one which, uh, in many respects, pretty much every pastor or almost every pastor deals with on a pretty regular basis. I've got a few resources for us to think about. But one of the one of the things that has really struck me in my uh, years as a parish pastor is how funerals are changing and what the uh, what has has changed in the process along the way. Um, one of the things that has really struck me over the years when it comes to how funerals have changed is that people are less and less familiar with with I'll say the ritual of a traditional funeral and it it forces us as pastors to to maybe ask some questions or to or to do some things that honestly aren't going to make a lot of sense to to the to the people that we're trying to minister to how have you looked and and seen funerals have changed in your uh, in your years Scott well, I would agree with you totally that people are less familiar with the – I mean, even just something simply, simple as the Lord's Prayer. Yep. Um, people people used to be able to say it, and now if it's not printed, people don't. And uh, the Apostles' Creed and certain things that even non-churchgoers or people that were not super regular churchgoers – had more familiarity with even in the twenty years that we've been doing this, I, I, I've I've noticed that people are much more spectator. Um, they they approach it, uh, the service much more like a spectator. They don't sing the hymns, it, right. and, and I mean, and I, and I don't. Necess- I'm talking about people who are not when you have guests and family who are not members of my congregation. When it when when it's the members of the congregation who are who are present. The active members, that's not what I mean. I mean those who are the family and friends who come to the funeral but that just simply very, very many times simply don't have any real knowledge or clue as to what's going on. At least that's and, how it feels. Oh, yeah. I, I've had few, four funerals since Christmas, which for my parish is a lot. Um, and of those four, I think that one of those families that I was caring for one of those families were members of the congregation. So these were parents or grandparents or whomever mm. of uh, of people. And so they're coming in from out of town, maybe quite a ways out of town. I've oftentimes never met them before or only met them when their when their loved one is is on their deathbed. And and so I kind of walk in and have this and start this relationship with these people at at the most vulnerable time of their life. Mm-hmm. And what, first off, what an incredible opportunity as a pastor to proclaim the gospel, to provide comfort, to give to give hope, and to be a uh, a voice of a voice of the resurrection, certainly. But it is a tremendous challenge, no question about it, because you have expectations, they have expectations. Those expectations may not have any relationship to each other. 
and uh, and and I I really force myself, or uh, I feel like I am forced a lot of times to ask the question, "What am I actually doing here? Yeah, what's Why my I... what's my point? What is my what am I seeking to accomplish as a Lutheran pastor doing a graveside service uh, along the way? Um, and uh, the answer to that is not always that easy. Uh, do you do uh, – let me ask. Do you do funerals for non-members? Do you have a, a kind of hard and fast practice on that? Um, I wouldn't say I have a hard and fast practice, but I, I, I do funerals for non-members, but not just for strangers. You know what I mean? I mean not so just for random – So you're not a funeral guy for hire? No, no, I, I, I don't, I don't do that. You know, just sort of a funeral for just some random person that they just simply want a, cl- a clergy person to come in and do the, do a thing. Right. I have done funerals for like former members, or you know, because there's like times when people die, but you know, I mean, they they were members here, but they then they moved away, but they their graves are still up here. Right. And um, you know, so there's a lot of that kind of thing. Or it's like you said, a family member of a member that has. I mean, I would. I mean, there needs to be some connection to Christianity. Um, that that's my hard and fast rule. If anything, is that if this person were a total pagan and was a professed unbeliever, then and and I haven't ever actually been asked to do that. But if that were the case, I think that's where I would certainly draw a line. But if I can tell a really short story, I actually met a friend of mine um at a local cigar shop and he's a This is a uh, part of your ministry, right? This is one of my one of my outposts for mission work. I go there frequently and I make all these friends, right, with all these folks. And this one gentleman said that um he himself is not really an observant Christian, but that his 95-year-old father was born and raised Missouri Synod Lutheran but hasn't been to a church in in like 30 40 years. But that he's right. on his he's dying. Would I go visit him? So I did. I went and visited this man. And you know, <laughs> the, this gentleman, 95 years old, dying, and hasn't talked to a pastor, hasn't stepped foot in a church for probably 50 years. The first question he asked me is which synod I belong to. And I thought, <laughs> isn't that hilarious? Because he wasn't gonna have anything to do with some ELCA pastor, even though he's never been. And I, when I said Missouri Synod, then he was fine. He was comforted. It was really funny in a way. I, I thought that was kind of quaint. That, it, that was the first thing, first thing out of his mouth. But then he asked his family to leave, and it was just me and him. And he opened up his heart, and he's like this crusty old guy, very curmudgeonly, and he starts to confess his sins to me, and he starts. To, and so we did a an absolution, and and I gave him the Lord's Supper, something he hadn't had in decades, and he and he died a week later, and the family asked me to do the funeral, and I did, because even though this man had no church membership anywhere, I had been his pastor just days before, and knew that he made a a clear unmistakable confession of faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And, and we received communion. I, I felt perfectly clear of conscience in giving him a Christian burial. And that's, so there are these, we, you know, that that's an unusual circumstance. He wasn't a member of my church. None of his family are members of my church. They're just acquaintances and they happen to have, he'd been catechized. And um, when I had my um, conversation with him, I could tell that he he knew the gospel, and and that was going to be fine for me for as far as doing a funeral for him. Now, in a case like that, 
I'm going to guess that the uh, the family did not have a lot of direction given to you on what happens at the funeral. That was kind of like, this is your show, if you will. Yep. This is your thing. You do what you do because I don't know anything about it. Is that is that right? You're you're right. That was totally it. And and in part, it was because of the friendship I had with the son, the adult son. Sure. Um, because he was like, you know, just do a good old fashioned. He knew that his dad would just want a good old fashioned Lutheran ceremony, whatever that meant. Whatever and that meant. Yeah, yeah. They they didn't have any. They weren't saying, oh, we want this song and we want to do this music and we want to have this poem. They they might have. I mean, they, I mean that certainly wouldn't have been un, you know totally out of love field had they tried that. But in this case, no, they they really didn't. They just said, "We're just glad you're here because we didn't, you know. Otherwise, it was going to be just the funeral director doing something at at the graveside, and it was going to be pretty right, sad." Right. And, Which would not um, be that unusual either, frankly. No, no, so, it happens. I'm sure it they happens. do a lot of those. They do. Now, it I've always thought it kind of strange that, in some respects, the non-member is more is sometimes more trusting of me as a pastor and the decisions that I make about how to how to prepare a service, what are the readings, what are the hymns, you know, all of that stuff. Sometimes that the the non-Christian is going to be more trusting of me than than the Christian or even than my own members. Um and and it's it, it really is a weird thing, Scott, because uh, first of all, I like doing funerals. Most pastors that I know like doing funerals because you do have a sense that people are actually listening to you, which is, you know, I like people listening when I'm preaching. It's helpful. Yeah. But uh, but what is hard about funerals and what makes funerals really messy is when uh, you're going to have someone come in either that's a member or not a member, and they have an agenda or a yeah. picture in their head of this is what so-and-so's funeral is supposed to be. And I have, I have had pretty, some pretty bizarre requests over the years. Um, I once had someone say, well, we don't actually want you to do a religious service. And, and which really kind of freaked me out because it's like, what other kind of service can I do? I can't. And why would I you be involved in? A and why would I be involved? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you're going to have things like, well, so and so's favorite song is "You Are My Sunshine." Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. That kind. Of, that Frank kind Sinatra's of. Frank Sinatra's "I Did It My Way." Absolutely. That's uh, just like everybody else. Um, yeah. So, so there, there is some. There's some tension, and and as a pastor, I on the one hand want to maintain my uh, my integrity and the integrity of the church because of course I'm never operating as an independent agent. I'm always the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church, so I want to maintain our identity as a Christian congregation that believes in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I also want to reach out and provide care to this family, whether they're members or not, whether I see them ever again or not. Um, 
and also recognizing that you know they're they're coming into this relationship with preconceptions of what is going to happen or what should happen and that may be from their Aunt Matilda's funeral from when they were 10 years old and they remember something that may be from something they saw on TV. Maybe they went to Mashable or BuzzFeed and saw the 10 things that you need to have on the, in your funeral. Uh, who knows? They can uh, People's expectations can be based on anything under the sun. And as a pastor, I'm forced to sort of, I don't know, like negotiate you just sort of feel like it's a it's a negotiation. You're sitting at a table and like, okay, well, you want this song. Well, I don't like that song. Well, all right. Well, how about this song? If you won't, you know, if you won't let me sing, I'll do it my way. Is Amazing Grace an acceptable alternative? Um, and you know, or maybe you don't even want that. It's it is really it's delicate, and in many respects, the pastor is quite vulnerable to criticism in in how he handles funerals. It's tough, no doubt about it. And I've yeah, seen I, some real doozies. So have I. So have I. Well, you know, I my one of my standard lines is that if it's in the hymnal, if it's in one of our church hymnals, even if it's a, you know, Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art or Rock of Ages or Beautiful Savior, which seem to get sung at funerals ad, ad infinitum, they are very favorite, at least for a certain generation, and I they are in our hymnals. So they're doctrinally pure. Uh, they're not necessarily the strongest hymns or the best hymns, in my opinion, for a funeral. But oftentimes, people at a funeral aren't singers anyway, and so right. you know to pull to pull out something that you know something by Paul Gerhardt or something that might be have a richer text but more difficult tune is maybe counterproductive unless you have a choir or you know that there's going to be a good contingent of your members there that can carry the tune and sing it because a lot of these non-churched or barely churched uh, visitors are not going to sing even if it's Amazing Grace. And right. so my, my policy is that if it's in one of the hymnals, we'll do it. If it's a Christian hymn that is not in one of our hymnals, I will negotiate with that. Um, and, you know, it, it depends on it. You know, I want to. Uh, will you know? I won't. I won't automatically. If it's a sacred, if it's sacred music, let's say it's sacred music of some kind, that is just does not happen to be in our hymnals because our hymnals are not exhaustive. They don't include all acceptable hymns that exist. Of course. So, so I, I you know, so I said, well, yeah, you know, if it's sacred music. When people want to do secular music, then that's where I try to make a sharp distinction between what we do during the service and what we might do immediately following the service or at the reception or even, you know, um, I've even done strange things at the cemetery, you know, and it's it's awkward and sometimes I don't get my way, um, especially when I was a younger pastor, I and I've been deceived a couple times, I will admit, not in my current congregation, let me be quick to add, but and and not by and not by members of my church. It wasn't that members of my church deceived me, but that right. people who were attending had said, "Oh, we want to say a prayer or a psalm and and or sing a, a song and they tell me one thing, but then they do something else. And yep. that is yep. that's happened that to me too. more than once. Yeah. Yeah, and that's well, it Here's 
here's kind of where I would try to start with something like this is that and, and this is going to sound odd, but you know, what can you do? Uh, I want to go into a situation where I'm meeting with the family where it is clear that I am there to take care of them and that I'm going to give them what they need. I am the I am the spiritual doctor here. I am the Zalesorger. And uh and that and, and I don't mean this so much in a control sense, but maybe in an authority sense, but that that I'm the authority on how we do this, not them, not the funeral director, which is another topic. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I try very hard to go into those situations with having a clear picture in my head of, of how, things, how things should look, what psalms, what hymns, what readings, mm -hmm. So that I can kind of lay those out for them, and I and again I don't I don't want to come across as a as a controlish person here because that's not really the intent. But frankly, in most cases, they don't know what they need to hear, right? Because people don't actually understand what the resurrection of the dead is about. That's why you're there. You're their pastor. You're there to actually give them the gospel. Um, and so, but it is tempting particularly as a new pastor, it's tempting to go into a situation like that and sort of presume if I ask them what they want, then I'm going to be the nice guy. Now, what you may have actually just done is forced them to sort of display their spiritual ignorance. Yeah. So, uh, okay, I go to I go into a let you know play role playing for a second. I go in to a situation and I say, so um, did so and so have a favorite hymn that they always wanted to sing? You know, what did you sing when you were when you were a kid with them? I have now put them on the spot so that they have to come up with an answer that they feel like is going to be pious and and, right. and good and religious, and they're going to grasp for whatever comes into their head first. And it may be awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have just set myself up to get schnookered. Yeah. And they're, they may not be happy about it. And I certainly am not happy about it because I have not done my homework in preparing for it. I always ask if they were, um, you know, so I always ask them, especially if the member that or the person that has died has been a lifelong Lutheran or a long time Lutheran, I always ask them that when they're going through the documents and the memorabilia, if they come across a baptism certificate or a confirmation certificate, if they find any verses that are on those documents, any special, like, it's, you know, it'd be great if I had their confirmation verse. That's always a wonderful way to personalize, if you will, the in, preaching. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll incorporate it into the homily. It might be one of the readings. Um, there's That's always wonderful. And a lot of times people don't know where those documents are or don't have them and, and aren't able to. But once in a while they do. And that's always, to me, that's always a really interesting thing to be able to do. And then that feels like I'm you know, to them, I think then it shows that I'm trying to personalize and, you know, I'm using their confirmation verse. Maybe it wasn't their favorite verse, 
But once in a while, especially if it's a shut-in, if it's someone whose home I've been sure. in before, you know, if I notice that there's a plaque on the wall that has the 23rd Psalm, and, um, you know, I might remark on that and then ask them if they cared if I make that sort of the theme, and then we could sing a hymn that, to that effect. You know, so once in a while you can ask and use things that you know about the person, but um, otherwise, yeah, you don't want to be just left to the whims of of their their preferences or whatever they may think of at the spur of the moment. And I would also add that for me, when I go into a situation like that, most of the time, 80% maybe, uh, someone that dies is someone that I have been visiting, that I have been ministering to, that I have been caring for. Most of the time, I know that this is coming. And so I will sing to them some mm -hmm. of the things that I'm thinking about doing for their funeral. I will mm -hmm. read to them the verses that are uh, – that may be appropriate. And that serves a couple purposes. First of all, that's that's kind of – that it should be comforting if I'm doing my job as a Lutheran pastor. Secondly, that also sets up planning the service so that I can say to the family, you know, I sang this to your Aunt Lois or whomever it is on such and such a day. And she seemed to really appreciate it. And so I can I can kind of draw that is. I don't believe that that's being manipulative. I think that that's no. me being pastoral and mm -hmm. being intentional with the kind of care that I am giving to them along the way. Oh, sure. And I know that you – I haven't looked at yours yet, but I know that you have like a funeral planning guide that you use in your congregation. And I, I have something similar how do you do that? Do you distribute that to the entire congregation and ask people to submit it and then keep it all on files? Because, you know, it's not just the shut-ins that die. Anyone, anyone, anyone can pass away at any time. So um, I'm, well, I'm just well, wondering how you do that. No, it's a good question. Here's how I've done it here. I've been at my current congregation for uh, not quite four years, three and a half years maybe, something like that. Um, my deaconess and I last year did a couple seminars, morning seminars. Uh, one of the seminars was on dying, the the process of dying, and and we kind of looked at that theologically, also medically. You know, sort of did I'll say a first pass at some of the end of life decisions, that sort of thing. And a part of what I did in that context was talk about what are the hymns, what are the verses, what are some of the things that we do in preparation for a funeral. Then we did, maybe six weeks later, we did a seminar on, on funerals particularly and on a, a theology. I, I'd have to look, look and see what we called it, but basically a theology of the body at the time of death and looking at how, how then do we do that. And at that and at that point, and I had maybe 50, 60 people there, which is kind of typical for us around here on Sunday morning Bible class, um, I handed out this funeral booklet or funeral manual that, uh, that I had been working with, with the elders. And we handed it out, and I kind of walked through it. And that has a sort of a theology of the body, a theology of the resurrection in it, and it has... Uh, 
hymns, it has readings, it has kind of the list of things that that I am going to be asking for or looking for when so-and-so dies. Uh, and I give that out to people. If someone is in the process of dying, I will maybe leave that, leave that at their bedside. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of tricky because you don't want to be morbid. No, you but, don't want to uh, be suggesting something that isn't right. Imminent. Exactly. Um, and so that can that can be delicate. But I try to. But then when someone dies, I will bring that with me if I go to their house or to meet them at the funeral home or wherever. And we'll give that to them. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. But it's it's an attempt. And it, and as I said, it at least kind of sets it up so that I have I have a something I can point to and say, okay, here's a list of things that I think would be good. Now there are other things that we could do. And if you have a hymn or a psalm or something that might be that might be particularly meaningful, maybe that I don't know about. Um, let me know, and I'll try to incorporate those in. That's kind of how I how I do it, mm-hmm. but it's not perfect. That's for sure. What about eulogies? Oh well, I mean, with I do the same kind of thing. I mean, I, I had um, a, well, a couple of years ago, I did a a Bible study series that I called "Death and Dying," where right. you know it was like maybe a six week thing. And in fact, one of the the best attended nights, <laughs> I don't know what this means to say about anything, but the best attended night was I actually had a local funeral director who's a friend of mine whom I knew from Rotary Club, who is a Christian. He's a believer, and I, you know, I'm I think he's a sincere Christian man. And I just had him come in one evening just to talk about what happened? You know, I mean, what do you do when, you know, your loved one dies? Who do you call and how does the funeral director fit in? And boy, that was really an eye opener and intriguing. And, and, um, but then in like one of the sessions I had like my funeral planning guide and I explained, here's kind of the guidelines. Here are the things that we as Lutheran Christians really think are essentials and maybe some practices that have crept into the Christian church but are not not the best and um, try to explain it because it's always easier and it's always better to explain these things to people when they're not grieving before they're actually in the scenario. Once they're in that scenario and you come in and say something restrictive, then it's going to be it could be battle and you don't want that. That is not going to be good for anybody's soul. So if you can get this stuff talked out and if they need to be argued out, they can be argued out when no one's actually in the, in the midst of grieving. And then when you get people to write down their, you know, I, I give them a list of recommended verses and I give them a list of recommended hymns and sometimes they'll just circle those. And sometimes they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, put in something of their own and that's usually it's usually fine and it usually works out and i you know i i'm not opposed to that idea i have i have that in our funeral manual but honestly as a pastor uh, that i have mixed feelings about it because when someone when you're thinking about that it's one thing to think about it when you're in the middle of a seminar um it's another it's another thing entirely to think about it when you're dying yeah. And so it may be that the that the things that the scripture passages that are providing comfort that the hymns that provide comfort at the time of death 
are totally different than when you filled out a piece of paper 12 years previous. Sure. Um, and yet, as a pastor, I can be kind of um, hamstrung by that. So I, I don't know. I, I, I can go either way on those sort of things. I think there can be benefit to it. And especially if you have a, if you're in a congregation or you have a place where they have lots of, lots of goofy practices, then, uh, then the more prep that you can do ahead of time, the better. Uh, I've been very blessed in both the congregations that I've served where my previous pastors um, all had good good consistent practices when it came to funerals. So I haven't had to deal with a, well, my my predecessor was fine with us doing, I did it my way during the service. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't had to deal with that a whole lot in terms of uh, getting thrown under the bus by my predecessor. That's been, and I appreciate that. No, but I haven't it, either. Yeah, it's no, tough. I haven't had that either. Yeah, I mean, a, and I, I, I always just make a distinction between the sacred and the secular, you know. Yep. And, and and when we're in sacred space doing sacred things, I said, let's try to keep it sacred. I, and and nine times out of ten, other than the couple of times, and I've been a pastor for close to twenty years, as you know, and um, I don't even want to guess how many funerals I've done, but I've only had a couple times, as I mentioned, where that was an issue, but where they really wanted, and so they've even used subterfuge to get get something in. Right. But that's that, you know that that's been rare, and and I don't think that that's something that now, you, know, you necessarily mentioned briefly. About. Uh, you started to ask a question about eulogies. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, I'm curious. So, so what's your question? Okay, well, I was just going to ask what your because you know that is that is one thing that if people have watched TV at all and and seen funerals on TV or gone to funerals in other churches. That the there would be someone from the family who would get up and say a few words. That seems to be a com at least around here. That seems to be a common expectation and a common practice. And um, you know, it's always a little bit risky when you do that. And I, I just was curious if you have that same experience where people want to do eulogies or ask to do eulogies and what you say to them and how you manage that. Well. It seems like it's a little less common here than I found in the Midwest. I'm in California. Um, okay. What I have, uh, what I, I try to steer people away from doing it during the service. Oh yeah. Um, first of all, I'm not going to let them do it during the service. I'm right. not going to say no, but I am going to say, you know, I think it might be better to do that at a reception afterwards, where it can be a little bit less formal. And it can be a little more conversational. Um, most most people are not actually that comfortable standing up and speaking in front of a hundred people, and especially when you are in the midst of grief. That is a and and you can kind of have this sense of oh I've got to perform and and I don't know if I can make it through it. And what I typically do during my my funeral sermons is I will begin the sermon. It's almost formulaic. Um, at where I will list their their birth, their baptism, their confirmation, their marriage if they were married, and when they died um, at the beginning of the service or at the beginning of the funeral of the of the sermon. Um, mm-hmm. So I will kind of get some of those basic contours in right at the right at the start because we are dealing with an actual person here, mm-hmm. and that person had a life and that 
and that life matters. It matters to God. It matters to the people that are there. That's why we're there. So I'm not, I'm not uh, afraid at all about talking about that person and being personal about it. But there is a line between talking about that person as a baptized child of God and turning it into something else entirely. So I try to, I try to steer those out of the service. Sometimes, though, you do get snookered. And, mm-hmm. and as a pastor, um, I don't know, I, I think we have to be aware that sometimes you end up doing things that you may not like. Sometimes you end up in situations that are, that are messy, and that's okay because you're still the pastor, and even if you do screw up, or maybe more accurately, when you screw up, uh, you're still going to be the pastor. You're going to be there when this family is long gone, and it is one service, and the world's probably not going to end if there is one song that, no. is, uh, that is less than ideal. It's one thing to say something is less than ideal. It's another thing to say um, uh, they're going to do something that denies Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. There is definitely a line there. Yeah, and when I was a pastor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it seemed like it was really rare that anybody wanted to do this. But here in the Chicagoland area, and I don't know if it's just this parish or if if it is more of a central Midwest thing, but I frequently get asked if someone can – now, this is what happens to me, I would say, about 50% of the time. They ask if they can do one, but then when the day comes, they don't. You right. know what I mean? They want to, but then when the day's there, they're, they're too nervous, they're too upset, they're too emotional. They don't actually – that happens very much of the time. I have allowed it. It's always after the benediction, and I make announcements. It's really clear. To, I, I try to make it really clear that the religious ceremony is over, even though we still may be in the church or in the funeral home. And I always give instructions to the family. You know, if they're going to do this, I say, please, you know, write it down. Please don't be long. You know, I mean, I say it nicer than that, but you know, don't don't right. don't talk for another half hour because people are you know, and um. And I always try to say, please, you know, talk, make it a, an emphasis uh, on the resurrection and the new life. You know, don't, you know, it's good to reflect on the old life, but the, but you know, the memories. But you know, Robert isn't really dead. I mean, Robert's not. His life isn't over. It's not like we right. have to sit here and reminisce on his life because it's over. His life isn't over. His life is only beginning. So you know, I try to, I try to guide what. And with greater and lesser success, and sometimes they don't do it. And and I, I my preference would be in general that we not have them. But I, I'm either because of my own weakness or just because of other reasons. I have at times said, yeah, okay, but, but here are some yep. here are some guidelines about how I think a good eulogy, a good Christian eulogy, should go. And and when it when they do do it, ninety percent of the time, it's been it's been actually quite quite a nice little testimony. It's been quite nice. Yeah, and it can and it can happen that way. Uh, sure. I too try to steer those steer those out of the sanctuary and into the reception hall afterwards. Uh, I can tell and we're uh we're starting to run a little long here. Um, I can tell that we have lots more things to say about funerals, so I expect we'll be coming back to this. One of the topics that I want to talk about in the future 
is what I will call uh, non-religious rituals connected mm. to funerals, um, okay. you know, releasing balloons and and this sort of thing. Uh, so we can we can think about that uh, for another time. If you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net, and I would urge you to uh, to try and do so. You can find the show notes at the crux of the matter dot net slash podcast slash seven. We've been at this seven episodes already, Scott. Can you believe it? Yep. Yep. It's the perfect crazy. number. Yeah, it's a good number. Um, so that's where you can find us. We do have a couple other couple of the things before we close, and that is uh, first of all, uh, friend of the show. Our, our friend of the show for this week is our friend, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. He is a pastor in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, he actually wrote a book on uh, funeral practices for Concordia Publishing House. The title of it is "Final Victory: Contemplating the Death and Funeral of a Christian," and I will uh, put that in the show notes. Uh, he also does a uh, podcast with another pastor named Evan Gegline, and that uh, podcast is called Table Talk Radio. Uh, it's it's kind of a crazy show and uh, ridiculous. They've been at it for a long time, 300 episodes or something like that. Uh, but uh, I would urge our listeners to uh, give it a listen. It's a lot of fun. Do you know Brian? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know Brian. In fact, um he was one of my recruits way back in the olden days um, when I was a seminary recruiter. And so he's uh, because your fault. He, he is. No, he's not my fault because uh, uh, he had all those seminary professors after I met with them to, to turn, him in, turn him into the, uh, the, the movement that he is. No, I love Brian. He's a great guy. And I liked him the first time I met him. And we met at. Um, his, which I think was his home church at the time in Albuquerque, New Mexico, many mm -hmm. moons ago. And um, he did eventually go to the seminary, and he's been doing great as a pastor. Same with Evan. Great. Evan, I think, was one of my recruits, too. And, and both of them, I think, are absolutely excellent, excellent Lutheran pastors. Good. Very good. So what's bringing you joy this week, Scott? Well, we, t we tend to go with books. So the last couple of times I tried to steer away from books, so I'm going to come back to that. Um, there's this lovely little book. It's called The Five Love Languages. And I know that that sounds like a really, really sweet title and that it's going to turn off all the men and they're not going to want to read it. The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. And it's even worse because on the cover it has roses and flowers and pastels. And I've joked that they ought to have a version of it that has like camo and hunting rifles and and dead animals and stuff on it because it, it seems like it's just going to be a book for the women, but it's actually a book I use for couples who are going to get married. And I've used it for couples that are, that are married, but are maybe having difficulty in their marriage. It's a really, really handy little book. I think Gary Chapman, the author is um, a Christian. He, he's, uh, he, there's very little religious content in the book. I mean, I think he does refer to God a few times, but there's, there's not much of that in there, but just good common sense stuff about how to make sure that your, that your mate is feeling loved by you. And I just find it to be extremely helpful and use it all the time. Well, since we're, uh, since we're talking about, uh, Talking about that, I'll mention another book in those similar veins, and that is the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus by John Gray. Uh, this book is actually 25 years old. I can hardly believe that. 
but it is it's another example of of a really completely secular book. This is not a Christian this is not a Christian book. Um and and it's sort of spawned a whole cottage industry of other uh of other works connected to it, which is fine, but his basic point and this is kind of duh, I think, is that men and women are different and they communicate differently. So uh, that is uh, that's another good one that I would uh, that I would commend to you all uh, to do. I think it is helpful for us sometimes to to look at more secular uh, secular sources because frankly, when I listen to or read a book like that, I have no expectation that this is a Christian. Um, it's I think it's uh, I for instance am going to be much more suspicious of. A book written by an overt, uh, an overt Christian of a different confession, because now I feel like I have to go and parse out what are the good parts and what are the bad parts. Right. I don't know. It's a. Uh, it can go either way. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, men are yeah. from Mars. Women are from Venus. Yeah, and Gary Chapman. Like I said, I know he mentions God in it a few times, but it's the religious content. I, as far as I can recall, is very minimal, which. I like you was just fine with um, because you know, I, like you say, I don't feel then like I need to be theologically um, a, a, doing a theological analysis of every page because really he's just talking about what I what I would consider common sense things that really do make sense when you think about a marriage, especially if you've been married. I mean, I've been married for twenty five years, Todd. Believe it That's or not, awesome. twenty. Yeah, this summer's our twenty fifth anniversary. And um, and I still think that this book has a lot to say. So yeah, Catherine and I are coming up on twenty this year. So awesome! Congratulations. Yeah. Yep, fun indeed. Well, friends, I think that uh, I think that that'll about wrap it up. We got a little bit wordy this uh, this week, but we are pastors after all. Words is kind of what we do. Uh, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for uh, for joining us, and please give us some feedback. By the way, if you have not done so. Make a point of doing a uh, review for us on iTunes. One of the things that Scott and I have been talking about is how we can try to uh, build our audience a little bit. And probably the best way to do that is to actually do a review in iTunes. So look us up on iTunes and put a rate and tell us what you like and don't like. And that would be great. Any final thoughts, Scott, before we head out? No, I just think it's kind of interesting that we spent the whole show talking about funerals, but then when we came to talk about our favorite things, we both talked about wedding books. <laughs> I don't know what that means. 